think I'm within my rights to speak, even if it is on the agenda item. So I'm going to plow right into this. I testified on October 3rd and on January 26th that GoBox should broadcast on SFGov TV. And all the years have been an unusual, um, I mean, a usual suspect in Chair Larkin's words, attending your meetings. I have never seen on your agenda a discussion of your own budget uh, funded through bond funds. The Health Commission and the Ethics Commission regularly discusses their budgets in open meetings. I submitted this records request to Mr. Rosenfield this morning, and amazingly, he got me an answer before the meeting started. <laughs> that your current balance is 1.73 million. That's plenty to fund the nominal cost of SFGov TV coverage. My March 20th email to you asked for reconsideration of broadcasting and archiving your meetings on SFGov TV. I noted Kathleen Clark, the acting deputy director uh, for communications at the Department of Technology, responded saying SFGov TV does not have a waiting list. I also noted in my March 20th email to you that you're overseeing spending of 11 general obligation bonds totaling $3.6 billion, of which you were awarded $3.6 million to fund your operations. I noted that the um, CSA function that you oversee has been allocated $15.3 million in the previous fiscal year and $16.3 million this fiscal year. Um, the controller's CSA function should have plenty of funding in there to pick up the nominal 9000 annual costs for SFGov TV expenses. One way or the other, you have plenty of money to fund this, including the online archiving. I noticed, I also noted in my email that go, the quality of GoBox audio recordings on that outdated technology is just terrible and doesn't capture the remarks of GoBox members make, even though you all just sit feet away from that audio recorder. The first problem is that many of you do not speak into the mic. For people who have hearing disabilities like me, and when you don't speak in the mic, your voices don't carry over to the recorder, and they're very faint. Second problem is people sitting in the well frequently cough, pour water into water glasses, rustle paper, all at the most inappropriate times during your conversations, drowning you out. Broadcasting on SFGov TV would solve the quality of your audio tape problems. And you need to move that agenda item up 
from the, agenda, uh, from the bottom of your agenda today to the top so that you have a sufficient quorum to reconsider a vote on this. Thank you. Okay. Well, I don't think we're going to move the agenda item up, but I will admonish my fellow committee members to not rustle papers at the most inappropriate time. Rustle them at the appropriate time and speak closer to the microphone because Mr. Minetchua is half deaf, as am I. Okay. We're on the same, you and me. <laughs> there you are. All right. Any other public comment? Mr. Prattler. Thank you. Mr. Hughes, I'm going to ask you. Happy to do that. You're very welcome. Thank you. Could you put it back to three minutes, please? Thank you. Yeah, one, one comment, though. Is there money in the budget for makeup if you go on TV? Half of 1%, <laughs> we can get total makeovers. Can you Manny Petty. Can you set it back, please? Thank you. It's at 247, 246. Can you give me three minutes? Thank you. Good morning. My name is Jerry Drattler. I passed out a copy. Oops of a sunshine request I sent to the controller after our last Seagobach meeting. The responses I received from the controller, which are attached, are cause for serious concern. I'm gonna focus my three minutes on the lack of independent bond expenditure audits. As you know, Seagobach's mission is to ensure bond funds are properly spent. Seagobach can only fulfill this mission by engaging an independent outside audit firm to perform bond expenditure audits. The PUC and the MTA Bond Expenditure Oversight Committees follow this practice and their audit reports are public documents. Three bond expenditure audits were authorized by C. Gobach in the fall of 2015 and no, no additional bond expenditure audits have been authorized in 2016 and 2017. How is C. Gobach going to fulfill its mission to ensure bond proceeds are properly spent without retaining an outside audit firm to perform bond expenditure audits. Each of you took an oath when you were sworn in as a C. Gobach member, and it appears the CSA is preventing you from executing your sworn responsibilities, and you need to do something about it. On October 15, 2016, I sent Mr. Rosenfield a sunshine request for final copies of the coming audit reports and management letters. I did not receive the requested reports. The city's sunshine ordinance requires Mr. Rosenfield to either produce the requested documents in 10 days or in writing show why the requested documents are not public records. Mr. Rosenfield's response has been to claim that the audit memos, not the reports or summaries, are the only documents available. I have draft copies of the two coming audit reports, so audit reports do exist. You can't have an independent audit without the auditor issuing an audit report and a management report. The party being audited does not issue the report. The CSA paid coming $96,000 for each audit. I'm going to skip the other part and uh, 
basically say that uh, the third audit that was posted to the CSA website on March 2017 does not meet professional standards. I filed a complaint with the City Sunshine Task Force and requested a public hearing. A public hearing is scheduled for Tuesday, March 28th. Thank you. Two minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, you really should do follow-on audits and the follow-on audits should drill down into the findings from the first two audits, which are very serious. Thank you. Um, just FYI, uh, we're going to talk about that under item seven as we work up and as we talk about our plans for next year, our work plan. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you. Oh, you, you wouldn't have known. <laughs> It'll be a surprise to everybody. You just asked one, ask another. All right, any other public comment? Hearing none, and seeing that John Thomas has arrived. Item three, approval with possible Home modification start. of the minutes of the January 26, 27 minutes meeting. All right, any comments on the minutes as they're written from committee members? Looks like then, uh, hearing none, we're open to public comment on the minutes. Thank you, Chair Larkin. I'm Patrick Manette Shaw. I want to commend Moral Lane on these minutes. It was good to see in the section on the SFGov TV discussion that she included the results of those who voted yes to approve the motion and the no and abstained votes. I recommend when you discuss this later this morning that you take a roll call vote, not a voice vote, on any motion that may be introduced to reconsider your previous vote. I urge each of you to stay for that discussion or, as I recommended in public comment, to move it up on your agenda item. The minutes capture very well the comments made by Twin Peaks neighbors opposed to the 250 Laguna Honda project. But John Farrell's closing comment that what MOHCD had presented to you on that project for senior housing is not, um, when he indicated that MOHCD was not honest in what it was presenting to you, wasn't included in the minutes. I wanna correct my oral comments on January 27th that the voter guide had mentioned the housing bond would be used in part for homeless housing. I spoke in error. I reread the voter guide and there's no provision the bond would be used for homeless housing. MOACD's Benjamin McCloskey was correct when he informed you that the bond did not specify specifically articulate a specific percentage required for any specific population, including set-asides for homeless housing. A February 3rd, 2015 housing pipeline PowerPoint presentation for the mayor had indicated the bond would be used for homeless housing, but voters were never explicitly told that. 
go back uh, Chair Larkin's assertion that while this committee is happy to take public comment, you have no authority how bond ponds are used seems to me to be complete nonsense. If MOHCD were to spend this bond developing parks or hospitals rather than affordable housing, you would have plenty of authority to deal with misappropriation of bond funds to other uses. Abstaining on SFGov TV vote is not appropriate, Member Tonison. Any other public comment, Ms. Jennifer? All right, um, motion to approve. I'm sorry, I didn't catch earlier. On the, on the minutes on SFGTV, uh, it doesn't record the time that it's been Okay. Mike, A motion was made to pursue coverage. Two committee members voted yes. Uh, it says under SFGTV that two committee members voted yes, McNulty and Chu, and two voted no. It doesn't record that I voted yes. Were you, were you among the two who did vote yes? I was the third. There was not two, there were three who voted yes. Okay, and that's no. No, it had to have five. Majority of the So I'd like the minutes corrected to note my vote. So noted. Thank you. Says Mora. All right. Um, a motion then to approve the minutes as they will be amended. So moved. Second. Kevin. Robert. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Minutes are approved as they'll be amended. Item four. Presentation from Public Works about the 2011 Road Repaving and Street Safety Bond Program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Good morning. Can we have this one? Yeah, just a little closer. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Chair Larkin, members of the committee. John Thomas, uh, representing Public Works, to report on the 2011 road repaving and street safety bond. Um, just to recap uh, on previous presentations, the bond was for a total of $248 million and broken into uh, the six programs listed on the
sorry, enlisted uh, as shown here. So um, the majority of the funds, almost 60% of them, were allocated to repaving. Um, uh, $149 million, $50 million to streetscape, $20 million to traffic signals, and then the remainder on uh, structure, street structures, sidewalk accessibility, and um, for curb ramps and for sidewalk improvements themselves. Uh, to date, uh, some uh, the majority, 77% of the money has been expended. About 10% is encumbered in current construction contracts, uh, and the remaining 11% is primarily in staff uh, support um, uh, to the end, but there are also several contracts which have not yet been awarded, which will uh, round out the remainder of the funds this year. To date, we have uh, 43 completed street resurfacing contracts. There are seven currently in construction, uh, and we have paved 1,222 of our revised 1,423 block goal. Uh, on the streetscape side, we just recently had a ribbon cutting a couple of days ago for the Bartlett Streetscape project, uh, and we broke ground on the Spofford Alley Chinatown Streetscape project in January of this year. Coming up soon, and actually just we uh, since the time of this writing, the Fulton Streetscape project uh, had final paving, uh, which was completed last week, and um, we have two other projects about to begin. Both the Wiggle Streetscape and Pedestrian Improvements and the Mission Trumbull Intersection projects will begin uh, shortly in April and May of this year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the city has issued um, three bond sales uh, totaling the $250 million, which is the 248 original plus $2 million in interest earned on the program since its inception. Um, that third and final bond sale was $43 million uh, issued last year in April of 2016. Um, I do list a risk here, which was the Bartlett Streetscape project. That one uh, went ex extremely long. We, uh, we ended up adding a significant amount of scope to the project at the request of city planning. They did fund that additional work, but the project was held open uh, in order to complete that work. And as I mentioned, we did have a ribbon cutting just, uh, just last week. Moving into a little detailed discussion on street repaving. Um, if you recall from previous discussions, again, our Overall departmental goal is to reach a pavement condition index of 70. At the time the bond was passed, our uh, PCI score was uh, down around 64, I believe it was at that time. Um, our last report concluded in uh, December of 2016 indicated that we had now reached a 69. Uh, so a market improvement uh, with that increase in, in uh, bond funds to our pavement program. Um, Prior to the bond, we were spending about $20 million per year, $25 million per year on paving. With the bond funds, that increased to uh, $65 million per year and increased our blocks paved per year significantly from about 300, 350 to 900 blocks per year uh, completed. Um, <clears throat> as you can see on the chart at the lower right, um, there are projections depending on what our continued funding levels uh, will be. If funding drops off, uh, the the uh, PCI score is expected to drop rather precipitously. Um, if we are able to maintain our expenditures um, at about this current rate, um, we can maintain our 70. And then if we want to uh, improve the streets to the point where uh, we have that sort of tipping point where the amount of money required to 
maintain the streets in that good condition could drop significantly, you'd need to reach about an 84. Um, this is all uh, managed by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. They handle uh, receiving all of the data and generating these numbers. Um, <clears throat> but that, that would be an ultimate goal, but would require even a more uh, a higher um, input uh, of funds up to $100 million annually. Um, so once again, we had uh, an original goal in the bond report of 1,275 blocks. We have revised that to 1,423 blocks as a result of uh, a move of some of the funds within the program. We had uh, allocated $10 million to um, a HOPE SF project, um, which we had uh, then moved back into the paving program. Um, and so that's why our, our bond goal has increased, and we have uh, nearly completed um, achieving that, and by the end of next year we will accomplish that. Moving into streetscape. Um, as I'd mentioned before, we had a $50 million budget in streetscape. We have currently allocated that $2 million in interest to that program, showing $52 million here. We have expended uh, just under $31 million. I have $7.5 million encumbered, and the remaining $13 million will be encumbered in several streetscape projects that are going to be out for bid um, by this summertime. Um, We've talked about several of the recent accomplishments. The other upcoming milestones include a couple of other projects. California Laurel Village uh, is expected to advertise in April of this year. Um, and Geary and Park Presidio is in planning and actually the community meeting working with the supervisor's office is now going to be scheduled for May of this year. Um, one of our larger projects, um, the uh, Potrero Streetscape project has now begun repaving on the segments between 21st and 25th and we expect to complete that paving work uh, by April 9th. The remainder of the project north of 21st will go on for the remainder of this year. The chart in the center of this page uh, represents kind of the progression over the last year, um, differentiating between what we refer to as the major streetscape projects, which were 24, uh, and the what we call follow the paving projects, where we took advantage of our paving program and added in various pedestrian and bike safety projects, utilizing the bond funds uh, to do that. That was almost uh, that was 51 projects that were outlined. Uh, in the program, uh, and today, uh, for both funding reasons and, and reasons of infeasibility, several of those projects have been deleted, as you can see in the chart at the right. Um, we have 49 remaining, 34 have been completed, um, and um, six are in the active stage on the follow the paving. So the next two or three programs, actually, I can touch on briefly because we've reported in the previous uh, meetings that these are actually uh, completed programs or sub-programs. Um, so the curb ramp program and sidewalk program represented here on this slide. Um, we, uh, on the curb ramp program, we uh, did not quite achieve the original goal of 1,700 curb ramps. Um, we have completed 1,583. Um, I believe I've described to you in the past the reasons for that, and for the most part, these were more complicated projects uh, or curb ramps uh, that cost more really on a unit basis than was expected. Um, and, and we did revise the goal downward very early in the program to 1,350, but we're able to kind of make some economies there to actually bring it back up closer to the original goal. On the sidewalk, uh, 
work, the uh, SERP program and ASAP program, um, we did complete and exceed the goals in both cases. Um, the ASAP inspected over uh, 155,000 square feet of public sidewalk space, and the SERP program um, had uh, about 105% of or 108% of its goal as well in repairing um, 646 square blocks. Moving on to the roadway structure program, um, there was roughly $7 million allocated to that program. We had identified uh, some 40 projects. Um, again, similar to Bartlett, Highland Bridge project was largely finished. The guardrail work was completed uh, over well, nearly a year ago, um, but there was a desire to add some security fencing to the abutment sides uh, below the bridge because of some challenges that we were having with vandalism uh, in those areas. The initial installation um, of materials was also damaged uh, by the vandals, and so that was, um, we held the project open to replace it with a more, an even more sturdy uh, material. So that work is, is uh, now complete as of February, so this project would be wrapped up. The two remaining projects, um, we used design funds from the bond early on, but the actual funding for the construction is using other sources. Um, but we're tracking in here just to show that those projects actually do get completed. Uh, but again, they're, they're underway. Um, those final two projects are the Bonview Street retaining wall and the Richland Avenue uh, traffic railing. The last segment of the program, uh, traffic signals managed by the MTA, was a $20 million uh, allocation uh, for traffic signal priority systems, uh, new traffic signals at 10 intersections, and uh, other traffic signal infrastructure upgrades. Uh, as you can see, they uh, have expended 16.5 of the $20 million. The remaining $3 million is uh, allocated to uh, procurement contracts, and the work should be completed within the next 12 to 15 months. So that I can show a couple of more slides. Um, this is the original um, budget and financial plan, and I'm not going to go into any detail because it largely reflects what we talked about uh, earlier, but there are details here, and if you have any questions, I'm happy to respond to those. Um, and then lastly, we've had numerous discussions in previous meetings about change orders. Um, this is a summary uh, before you um, and breaks down each of the programs um, both by dollar value uh, as compared to the original budget and uh, percentage. So the information's here and backup data is available behind it showing which projects had those change orders and we can also go into that um, uh, detail should you desire. <coughs> um, that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Excuse me. Questions from the committee? Members. Oh, I'm sorry. Liaison reports of what? Okay. Oh, Jennifer. Before. Oh, not I. <laughs> oh. No. I thought we did for this. So. There is no one. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, hi, John. 
thank you for that presentation. I, the, uh, page, page three, I had a question on the street repaving and reconstruction. Uh, it says uh, that 43 projects are complete, seven projects are under construction. Are those the last seven projects that will then bring you up to the 1423 goal and no. cover the remaining 201 blocks? That's correct. So, and that's scheduled, those are scheduled to be completed December of 18, as I read the. In, yes, in um, the, a large, well, over 20, 25 blocks uh, are tied into the Polk Street uh, streetscape project. So we used both streetscape um, bond funds and paving bond funds to fund that project. It's, um, uh, we have some 18 blocks of water, 16 blocks of sewer, and over 22 blocks of paving on that project. So it's a, a longer duration, almost 24 month project. So yes, you are correct. It will complete at the end of 2018. All right, and so my question, what is kind of, I guess, getting to is, it looks like we're spending around 69 million a year for uh, street resurfacing. Roughly, yes. And that's helping to some extent on the PCI score, but w when, that, when this bond falls off and those funds go away, do we have, are you anticipating other funds to replace that or will we be going back down and, and starting to lose ground? On so a couple of things have happened. Certainly the bond funds um, were allocated across projects going really in three successive years. So in 2013, 14, and 15, the majority of those projects were issued through that. The Mayor's Office and Board of Supervisors approved equivalent funding in the following two years after that. So we've had over five years of continuous funding in that level, which has helped us uh, achieve what you see there. Um, it's unclear. Uh, we're going through a budget process right now. It's unclear exactly what we will have next year. This year was slightly below. We had about a $15 million reduction in funding for the paving program this year. Next year, we don't know yet. Perhaps if anybody else can. And is thought being given to a future bond sale as well? There are a that number of different avenues uh, that uh, the Transportation Task Force is uh, is considering at this point. Uh, I think a bond is, is part of that, but they're looking at other avenues. Just to, to briefly elaborate, so uh, John mentioned there were two years of general fund appropriations. The street resurfacing program after the bond was expended. Um, the plan for that was adopted in the current year budget for the city called for um, sales tax revenue to be used for that purpose. That sales tax proposal failed at the ballot in November, which is what contributed to the loss in the current fiscal year. Um, and it is unclear going forward whether the general fund will backfill behind the sales tax loss until a new revenue measure is proposed or whether there will just be an outright reduction in street resurfacing. I do want to say, uh, you know, congratulations on the Fulton Street project because I live out at 36th <laughs> Avenue and have taken that uh, five bus for many years. And there's great joy on that bus <laughs> these days, I can attest to, um, the smooth ride. That's, and, that's and the residents as well. I think there was a lot of concern over the amount of time it took us. Uh, that, uh, not to go into too much detail there, but there was a lot of challenges just with limited resources with our sister agencies to make that happen. And that's, oh, yeah. Uh, we had hoped that was going to be paved last year, but uh, this was as soon as we could make it happen. And a question, a real question I think Ben will have to answer it. Um, the, the budget measure <coughs> failed that caused, that's causing the shortfall. That was Prop C last November. 
It was the one associated. Given how many letters were on the ballot, I forget uh, well, which I'll, one was I'll which, but it, it was last November. Yeah. There, there was a three-quarter cent sales tax increase on the ballot. It was uh, to replace one that was expiring, and it was to fund. It was prop <laughs> pay. We approved uh, the allocation, but not the money. That was, wasn't that B and C? J and K. Oh, J and K, okay. I knew that they were letters that one came in, <laughs> successive letters. Thank you, Jennifer. J and K. Um, one quick question. Uh, I think it was on page nine, John. There is a table, and I, I just need some clarification. Only two of the items, streetscape, pet and bike, and accountability and cost of issue and subtotal, show interest, an, an, a number in the interest column. Street, street resurfacing has a zero, sidewalk and curb ramp accessibility zero, structure zero. Right. Well, I, so I don't understand we, why. Um, as I had mentioned before, three of the programs, um, the sidewalk accessibility, the curb ramps, and the uh, structures had all completed at the time of the sale. That all of the funds for those projects were allocated under sale one and two. Uh, when the additional, oh, is, I'm sorry, I, I see third issuance is where that correct, uh, and and that, that when I didn't understand. we made a decision as to where that money would go. At this point, it hasn't been allocated to any projects, but the interest is sitting in the streetscape category. Um, we are currently having discussions about whether some of that could go over to the paving program as well. Okay, thank you. Other questions? Sorry, um, I I'm just looking for some sort of a uh, a reading from you on some of the issues that have come up uh, that may have affected what's going on with the street improvements. Weather has a big impact on condition of streets. We've had an unusual amount of water this year. I don't know what impact that's been having on you. Also, uh, federal funding uh, is obviously an issue and whether or not we're going to get infrastructure funding. In your view, whether uh, the city is prepared to go forward with a proposal for infrastructure funding. And then the third issue is the accounts I've seen of a population increase and an increased use of cars on the streets. And how has that changed from when the bond was uh, passed in 2011? Has it added to your, to your challenges? Uh, it appeared from what you were just saying that uh, we may be constantly behind uh, the, on whether or not we can meet that standard uh, without additional funding. We're just going to consistently. <laughs> Sorry about that. Undoubtedly, one of my bill collectors. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, those are the questions I had. Uh, to your point on whether certainly it has had an impact uh, in a number of ways. Um, delaying to construction projects, we have uh, had to hold off on construction on a number of projects as a result of the weather. Um, but as good weather comes along, everybody's <laughs> back out and trying to redouble their efforts to complete that work. Uh, but weather also does impact the street condition. As you can see, whether it be on the freeways or on the roadways, you get additional potholes. Um, our operations uh, crew responds and tracks all of the, num the request numbers. And as I understand it, I could have the numbers slightly off, but I believe their numbers tripled in the month of January and February from a normal January and February in terms of need to respond. And I think we have a 48 or 72 hours, I know Alexander knows the exact uh, number, but 48 or 72 hour response time, and we've been meeting that, but it is a uh, significant 
um, increase in load on our operations staff to do that. Um, with regard so is that throwing you off on your plan? No, I, we have not experienced significant, uh, and we're charting this right now, we're tracking where the impacts have occurred, but they don't appear to have occurred on the blocks that we've paved within the last five to ten years. So the impacts are on the older streets, the streets that are in worse condition that, that need that kind of uh, work. Um, so, so it hasn't directly impacted our condition uh, at this point in time. Um, but it, it can for certain. Um, federal funding and impact on infrastructure and funding. Currently, all the projects that we have in the queue that have federal funding, um, with the possible exception of the largest one, Better Market Street, are have their funding uh, allocated, and there's been no change and no impact to those. Um, Better Market Street is still kind of searching to fill out its final uh, funding structure, and that may be discussed further in the next report on the, the 2014 bond program. But um, uh, other than that, uh, I can't speak to any, any issues with federal funding changes. Um, the increased population is certainly one to consider, and I think that in concert with the MTA's efforts to um, improve multimodal use of our roadways um, are, are how we're trying to balance that. So improvements to transit, improvements to bikeways, uh, and just overall improving uh, pedestrian access throughout the city hopefully is helping to balance that, but certainly we're, the city has already seen uh, a 15% increase in population and expects to see another 15% increase in population over the next 10 to 15 years. So it's a real concern um, uh, and, and we try and allocate that within our paving projections. We look at um, heavy use, um, the, the main arterials and collectors that get bus routes and heavy traffic and we, and, uh, we apportion the volume of traffic and the impacts to those, um, to the PCI uh, through that process. But uh, right now, I think our projections take into account what, what is expected in the next 10 to 15 years. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other comments from the committee? Questions or comments from the committee? Then we can open, then we'll open this for public comment. And Jerry, stand by John, don't you go nowhere. <laughs> Good morning, my name is Jerry Drattler. In the draft copy of the coming road repaving and street bond audit report that I do have, the auditors found that soft costs, design, project management, and construction management costs for curb ramps at $2.3 million was 29% of total project costs. <coughs> the cost management division of coming indicated that these costs are more than double the 11 to 14 percent of total project cost they recommend. Design and bid alone was 13 percent of project cost. Cumming identified similar findings in the other audit and in other construction areas. C. Gobach should request DPW to break out the soft costs or non-construction project costs as a percentage of total project cost because these costs, the construction costs, are not subject, or excuse me, are subject to the market dis discipline of bidding where the soft costs are not. Specific emphasis on design and bid construction management appears to be warranted. Different point, the rule of thumb for bond funding of assets is the life of the debt should approximate the life of the asset. What is the term of the existing bonds and how does it match up with the life of the asset? 
the term of the bonds should never exceed the useful life of the asset. Thank you. Would you like to respond to that, John? Because that's a question I would ask, too. I, I, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying yours is not the only department where I see high construction management, you know, what, what, what Jerry called soft costs. So, right. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of things uh, to that report. Um, so in general, all of our projects uh, under the bond, and we responded to this, and I believe Cummings accepted our response, uh, in that is that um, we compare ourselves to a statewide assessment. I'm drawing a blank on what that's called, but all the municipal uh, agencies report on their capital programs and what their soft costs and uh, hard costs are on typical projects. San Francisco falls in uh, below the statewide averages for those. Um, so we actually do pretty well. But specific to the curb ramp program, it's a bit of a unique animal, and that is because uh, a large portion of that work is done through our operations uh, staff. And what was reflected in that report did not adequately separate the soft costs from the hard costs because um, work is transferred over to uh, uh, to the operations staff, and they, the Cummings was not <clears throat> privy to the specific cost estimates per each one of those uh, locations. So we've now provided that information to them, and I think the numbers are significantly lower. I don't have that with me, um, but um, if there's a desire, we can certainly make that uh, available to you as well. <clears throat> yeah, I, since we're on that subject, I don't, don't want to jump ahead too far, but in the CSA audit report that's coming up later, it is noted that the Public Works did respond, and that, that our costs were, or DPW's costs were within the range of other municipalities based on the 2015 California multi-agency CIP benchmarking study. That's it. Sorry. So, uh, and I'll get, we can get more into that when we cover that report, but I, I do think this, it would benefit this committee and the public to be able to see those numbers, and, and, and I'll, talk about that later, but I just wanted to point I, I appreciate that, Bob. Mr. Chair, I have a question, if I could, for Mr. Thomas. We met, and one of the things that we discussed at the time, if memory serves, is that there were an extenuating circumstances as it related to the curb ramps in that there are below-grade basements that walks, walk into and under uh, the sidewalks that may or may not have been mapped, uh, and as such, that was an unanticipated expenditure and design costs uh, that contributed to the numbers that we see today. Is that your recollection? That is also true. It is a significant issue that Public Works is attempting to address. We have uh, gone through a process now of mapping all uh, sub-sidewalk basements um, that we have been able to identify. Um, so there's several sources of data that we use that our designers use. Um, they look at uh, permits with our Bureau of Streets and Mapping. They look at the Sanborn maps, old maps that are in San Francisco that document where uh, basement locations uh, were known to be. Uh, and we also have uh, permits from the Department of Building Inspection. We couple all that together to be our best information. Since that time, we've also had staff uh, first through the computers, go through the kind of Google map, walk through the city kind of a process and identify those key, whether it's a uh, access panel or whether it's the glass blocks in the sidewalk or uh, unexpected settlement and or waterproofing on the sidewalk. All of those things are sort of key indicators for finding sub-sidewalk basements. That process is now underway and we've identified 
100 <coughs> more that weren't in our current records. So that's being added. We're sending letters out to all of those uh, property owners to identify, uh, to actually get confirmation of this, the sub-sidewalk existence, to get them permitted as is appropriate, uh, and then to look at what the next steps are. So we haven't quite figured out what the program is going to be for sub-sidewalk basements, but it is a key issue for us in being able to um, implement various safety features uh, on our streets today, and that could be anything from putting in ped signals to traffic signals to curb ramps, et cetera, and the sub-sidewalk basement's existence uh, in those locations impacts us in a number of ways, um, cost, schedule, design time. Um, the, the way the code is currently written, it is the fronting property owner's responsibility. Um, they reside there uh, or have access to that space um, on a temporary basis. It can be taken back for public purpose. Um, but that is a, a tenuous at best situation, and we're trying to gingerly walk through that. <coughs> Thank you. Other questions or comments from the committee members? Then we can open it up to public, further public comment. Uh, hello, I'm Yap Vale. I have a question about the slide here that says streetscape pedestrian and bicycle safety improvements uh, it tells me here in the corner that canceled or inactive on hold projects are due to feasibility concerns stemming from various things including environmental factors um, I don't know if that gentleman from Public Works recalls this off the top of his head but I'm frankly kind of curious exactly how bicycle and pedestrian improvements lead to environmental concerns um, I've heard this kind of thing happen, frankly, quite a lot, where there are things that are obviously <coughs> going to have environmental benefits that end up becoming difficult because of so-called environmental concerns. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what these environmental concerns may have been. Sure, my name is Yap Vale. So briefly, in response to those questions, the asterisk uh, in the bottom right does talk about uh, a number of reasons that were cited for cancellation of certain projects. Um, and I can get the breakdown. Much of this was uh, of the follow the paving projects were um, proposed and, and implemented by the MTA, so I don't have specific data here, but there were some that were canceled due to a timing issue. So for instance, follow the paving, in and of itself was intended to be a project that was done as part of a paving project. Um, in many cases, they resulted in just striping to add in a bike lane or to change the configuration or to do a, a traffic calming project. Um, if the environmental wasn't cleared at the time the paving project was going forward for this follow the paving element, it would be pulled out. We couldn't use bond funds, um, to Mr. Drattler's earlier point, uh, for projects uh, for things such as striping, because the useful life of striping does not meet the required uh, duration or uh, is not equivalent to the uh, duration of the debt. 
we, uh, so the, the metric that we use is a paving project does typically last in that time frame. So if it is part and parcel of a paving project, it is included and can be considered as part of the project. So that's some of the reasons projects were um, uh, not constructed. If the, again, if the environmental had not been uh, completed and approved and there was deemed to be increased traffic impacts at the time the study was done, again, that could be another reason that it was chosen not to move forward with it. Um, but I think many of these issues really fell under the category of timing and coordination issues more than environmental issues. All right. Um, any other public comment? Hearing none. Item five. Oh. Presentation from MTA in regard to the 2014 transportation and road improvement bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Welcome, Doc. Thank you and good morning, Chairman Larkin and members of the committee. I'm Monique Webster with the SFMTA. I'm, um, I'm in the uh, department's finance division. Oops. Quite sure what happened there to the slides. Um, so the, sorry, I have to get my bearings here on how to make this move forward. Okay, I think I've got it. Um, so the $500 million transportation and road improvement general obligation bond was, uh, was authorized by the voters in 2014 for improved transit and safer streets. The bond program funds a variety of capital improvements under the eight investment categories that are listed on this slide, with MuniForward being the, uh, the largest category. And MuniForward is a series of projects that uh, target Muni's high, highest ridership lines to make them more direct, reliable, accessible, and safe. In total, over 50 projects are planned to be funded with the overall $500 million bond, and uh, those funds will leverage federal, state, regional, and other local funds uh, to deliver those projects. The first issuance was completed in July 2015 for $66 million uh, in funding for projects, and that $66 million is going towards funding 19 projects at this time. Um, that issuance is indicated on the slide with the blue hash marks, um, and the issuance was in uh, four of the eight categories, <clears throat> with the largest portion, about two-thirds of the issuance, going towards uh, MuniForward uh, rapid network improvement projects. So I'm going to go a little out of sequence and skip to the last slide here to talk about um, our expenditures by, uh, by category. So this is a summary of the eight investment categories of bond funding, the issuances, and, um, and expenditures to date. So as of the end of January, approximately $13 million has been expended, and a little under $10 million has been encumbered. In other words, um, has been, uh, uh, is, is under contract, under a construction contract. 
Um, so that's a total of $23 million or a little bit over a third of the funding that has been issued. Um, as you may have heard, issues or questions have been asked about the rate of spending against this bond. Um, and a hearing has been scheduled for the April 5th meeting of the, of the Board of Supervisors Government Audit and Oversight Committee. Although some of the projects have encountered delays due to the need for more extensive public outreach, coordination with other projects and agencies and other factors, uh, we want you to know that considerable, pro considerable progress has been made against these projects, um, including two projects that have been completed and others that are advancing. <coughs> We expect the funding under this issuance to be fully expended by the middle of next year and the full program to be delivered as planned within the next five years. Um, I'm now going to turn it over to Sean Kennedy, who is our Muni Forward Program Manager, who will speak in more detail about the status of the Muni Forward projects. Thank you, Monique. Good morning. Um, Everyone. Um, so, uh, as Monique said, my name is Sean Kennedy. Um, I'm the transit planning manager at the SFMTA. Part of my duties uh, is administering the Muni Forward program. Um, and if we look at this uh, um, um, chart, there's a number of line items there. Uh, as we discussed last time, uh, as before this this committee, um, each one of these lines <coughs> has a specific story and a, and and a, and, a, and, um, and and discussion behind it on on where we are. Um, I do want to just say that most of those stories fall into three major categories. Um, so one um, is outreach and the need to do more outreach on some of these corridors. Um, two, uh, coordinating with other agencies, as Monique mentioned. Um, this is a, a project that, or a program of projects that um, we are coordinating with a number of agencies, both internally and externally to the MTA. So, of course, our, our city partners like DPW, uh, PC, we're, we're coordinating on the dig once policy. You know, if, you, if, you, if we're going in there to repave, we also want to do the Muni Ford uh, project at the same time, um, which, which uh, leads, of course, to some level of um, of, uh, of communication issues and, and just overall coordinating issues. Um, and then also internally to the MTA, um, we're not only advancing Muni Forward goals of improving transit uh, reliability and crowding, but we're also uh, advancing the idea of Vision Zero and, and, and providing a safe place for pedestrians to go up and down these corridors, um, as well as bikes um, in, the, in the same corridors. So um, we're, we've got a lot of coordination going on, um, and that can lead to delays. And then, of course, uh, the third big bucket of issues is contractor um, slash uh, just overall construction um, issues and delays that you'd find in any uh, major project. And so, um, uh, you know, we had those three, those three major issues. We've, we've worked really hard over the last several months to shore those up, and uh, we, we've got some really good progress um, to talk about today. Um, first, uh, I just want to say, um, you know, if you look at this, this sheet and on this, or this table and how each of these programs or projects are in a different place or phase of the project delivery process. If you look at the far right, the second column to the far right there, current phase, um, you know, projects uh, projects on this scale go through a number of, of phases as, we, as, as they're delivered. One, uh, the first phase being the planning and environmental review phase. Um, then it moves into the preliminary design, and that's also when we go to our MTA board to uh, seek approval to move the project forward into construction. Um, at that point, it goes into the detailed design phase, um, and uh, uh, specific issues are, are worked out around design and, and how these projects will be built. Um, those first few phases typically account for about 20% of the overall um, 
uh, project cost or, pro or, or construction cost of a project. Um, and then the last 80% um, is, is, is in the construction phase. There's, <coughs> there's a small phase in between the detailed design and construction, which is called the bid and award uh, phase, and, and uh, that's essentially when we put out the <coughs> bid on the detailed design drawings and ask for contractors to um, uh, submit bids on, on how they would build that, how much it would cost to build those, those projects for us. Um, and, then, and then construction starts, and of course that, that ramps up on the spending um, in, a, in a curve fashion. So um, I just wanted to, to highlight a couple of things that have changed on this, uh, on this, on this chart. This chart's based on a January update. So uh, the last, last three months or so, uh, we've made a number of changes um, or progress. Um, ongoing construction is still uh, uh, happening on the 7 hate. Um, uh, additionally, we have uh, moving into an April-May construction timeframe. Notice to proceed has been issued, and, and we're looking at um, April or May construction on the end Judah from Arguello to 9th, uh, as well as the 5 Fulton um, east of 6th, um, and uh, the 30 Stockton uh, on Chestnut Street. So those are three uh, relatively large projects, if you look at the overall uh, dollar amount of those that are, that are all due to start construction um, here in the April or May timeframe. Um, we're also uh, finished several projects, so 10 towns, and I believe I talked about last time it, it has been uh, completed. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then uh, last week uh, we finished the, the 9 San Bruno on 11th and Bayshore. Um, those projects um, have, have been completed, and the, um, the next update of the, of the balance, fund balance will, sh will show that, um, those results. So, so we're moving forward with a number of projects and, and, and moving through. Um, through design, so pretty exciting stuff. Um, and, and as Monique said, we're still anticipating uh, all the all the all expenditures happening by this time of, uh, next year, so or summer of next year. So, um, with that, I guess I'll I'll turn it over to Monique. There's there's actually only a few few slides left, and actually I think I can handle them unless uh, you really want to come up. But basically, we already talked about these in general. The the nine San Bruno um, finishing construction. <clears throat> I did not. I should have. I was remiss. I should have mentioned the L. The L Terraval um, is. Um, uh, most of the money in this first issuance was for design, um, and to uh, kind of finalize that design, we've uh, initiated, we've, we've got it approved by our MTA board, it is now, and we have now initiated a, a kind of what we're calling a pilot phase, um, looking at those projects and, um, and those ultimate outcomes. It's getting all the safety benefits um, as soon as we could out of that project and before it goes into full construction and, um, and later, a later time frame, uh, which which we'll address with future issuances. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the Geary project, um, the Geary uh, phase one and phase two have been approved by the uh, SFCTA through the environmental process um, uh, in January, and, and, and we're now uh, moving forward with uh, the first phase uh, of, of outreach going to be starting relatively soon. Um, I don't know, actually, let me <coughs> talk about the, the Caltrain issue. So um, besides the Munich Forward projects, of course, we're funding um, Caltrain's uh, Positive Train Control Project, which is a um, which is a $231 million project to install a system that tracks um, train locations and prevents unsafe train movement. Um, much of the project actually has already been delivered and it has progressed quite far. But last month, Caltrain did announce that they uh, that they released the contractor on the project. Um, because of uh, continued delays in delivering the project, and they determined that the contract termination was necessary to uh, to keep the project um, 
to maintain the project schedule and to maintain cost controls over the project. So what that's translated, translated into for the, uh, for the contribution that this bond is making towards that project is that um, because they have not been paying the contractor, we have not been receiving invoices from Caltrain against the bond funds. And so um, that is uh, why we've seen less, less lower than expected spending against this. So we did want to note that. Um, they, are, uh, they are in a recovery plan to continue forward using um, perhaps some of the subcontractors to continue moving the project, um, but that's still a very, very live, uh, live discussion going underway, but they're confident to, that they're going to move it forward. Um, the, uh, there were a couple of schedule changes, uh, the pedestrian countdown signals to high injury corridors project and the new signals on high injury corridors projects. Um, those were um, the, uh, I'm sorry, the pedestrian countdown signals to high injury corridors project um, design is nearly completed um, and we're on track to advertise for construction this May with award of the contract for, um, for 2017. Um, let's see, um, and uh, as we mentioned, there is a bond hearing scheduled for April 5th at the Government Audit and Oversight Committee. <clears throat> yeah, that concludes the presentation, so we'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Well, I will start with the liaison committee report, which consists of me and Brenda Quee McNulty. We, pardon me, the liaison committee has met with MTA staff three times since our last report on this we met with them january 19th of this year and then on the 17th of february subsequent to the announcement by supervisor breed that she was concerned about the rate of spending on the bond and then once again yesterday though i was not in attendance at that meeting i sounded worse yesterday than i do today and in light of that i have asked brenda if she would consent to make the liaison committee presentation to you uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, as uh, as um, Mr. the Chairman said, we met with um, uh, MTA staff um, in the times that he cited, and we were con we were a bit concerned when we were uh, it was made um, uh, clear to us that there were some issues that um, uh, Supervisor Breed raised in regard to the pace of spending. Um, since our meeting, um, we've talked about, you know, um, at, uh, at, at that particular uh, meeting, we discussed with the staff uh, what possibly could, um, uh, could be holding up, um, if you will, the, the pace of this bond versus, for example, uh, the pace of spending with other bonds of a similar uh, size. And we kind of concluded it may not be may not be um, desirable to, to to compare them because the underlying projects under each bond is very different. But having said that, um, we did um, wonder uh, whether it would be helpful um, to gather some statistics relating to the pace of this particular bond versus the pace of other bonds in the past. 
So um, maybe I should um, just defer to, uh, uh, to Ben the controller to give some advice as to perhaps the, 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 the Office of Public Finance might be able to help um, this committee um, gather some statistics so to let us have um, at least one source of information for <coughs> comparable spends. And having said that, um, and I'll address it a little bit later, this bond is unlike any other bonds that's really <coughs> under discussion because it actually is a portfolio of, of, of multiple projects that are complicated in and by itself. Um, so Ben, could you um, kind of give us some advice whether that would be a good avenue to seek? Sure. Um, we'd be happy to prepare uh, a review of spending and encumbrance rates on this bond versus others you've seen. Of course, as you mentioned, each one is going to look different, but I do think that would be helpful information for both you and us and the public regarding how we're doing delivering these programs. I think the other metric that we can likely report to you on working with the MTA is rate of spending and encumbrance of the sale of the bonds versus what was assumed at the moment when we initially sold the bonds. And so I think those would be two helpful metrics that, that we can prepare and report back to you. Um, and if you do find that helpful on this bond, that could be reporting we expand more generally to, to others. If, and if I could, because I think it relates to this, uh, there was a time way back when, uh, when cities would issue bonds, earn interest at a greater rate than the, what was due on the bond. That was called arbitrage, I believe. And to prevent that, uh, there was pretty strict rules about trying to spend bonds within a three-year period or a five. I can't quite remember, but are those rules still in effect? Because it's it's one of my concerns. I see these bond it. funds, okay. and it sometimes takes a long time. Are those rules still in effect, or are they changed? Yes, they are. There are IRS rules. They only apply to, we should be careful, to tax-exempt bonds. Yes. For taxable bonds, they're not applicable and it's also the case that it is not the case that if we don't hit our three-year spend down, the bonds immediately become taxable. That is not the case. In fact, if, you, if the IRS finds you have a bona fide reason for your delay, there may, na there may not be any penalties. As a general rule, you know, uh, there have been IRS settlements, none with the city since I've been here, I believe, <laughs> where... They will either require you to pay a penalty, they will not allow you to issue any more bonds until you've paid off the unspent proceeds. So it can be a, 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 a tricky situation. But again, I think the, 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 the one thing I want to say is it's not an issue after three years if you haven't spent it, if you have a good reason. Right, and you do have to submit that reason, is, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to just uh, continue my comments. Uh, we, we talked about this because this was a, you know, there were public comment on in, re in regard to the um, alleged delay in the pace of spending. Uh, but let me make some comments in regard to uh, just meeting regularly with MTA staff. Um, uh, what, be, because of the complexity of the projects, and if you see um, Sean actually um, in, uh, kind of cautioned us is that there are like, two or three big groups and um, every time we meet um, and it's the only time that um, Brian and I can get um, a feel of what's happening what's not happening is that uh, the project manager in fact Sean actually 
every time we meet, we actually go through each of the projects on the list and Sean gives us a much more detail on what's happening, what's not happening, and we pose questions. And as a result of this um, rather kind of meticulous, vigorous process, I think both of uh, both liaison members have a pretty comfortable feel that MTA staff is on top of what's happening and not what's not happening. And when we post questions of what's causing the delay, we get answers. And I think that after meeting with them, and hopefully we'll continue to have these meetings, that uh, both liaison members feel that um, MTA staff is doing the best they can in order to challenge, to remove whatever impediment. And a great deal of this, some are unforeseen, some are um, due to um, uncontrollable or, or reasons beyond MTA control. Um, we discussed specifically about, you know, the Caltrain um, issue, which Monique uh, addressed. And at the last meeting, I, I did, you know, I, I asked uh, Monique that if that Caltrain, which is a, nine, a $7 million item out of a 66, um, th that's more than 10%. I said, if we didn't have this impediment, um, would, you know, would it change the picture for us? And she was saying no, because in effect, a great deal of what's not happening causing the delay, much of that, much of those are really beyond our control. So um, I felt comfortable that MTA staff is um, on top of things and pushing things along. The other question that I did ask Sean is, uh, is based on that other chart that we showed as far as the status. Uh, first of all, um, I, I guess I, I blame, uh, I suppose, the timing of statistics that we get. Uh, right now, we're in the end of March, and we were, and the public and, and the packet is really looking at statistics that are two or three months old. Uh, the other thing that I would, uh, I, I was, I learned is that, or reminded is that, in all these projects, and Sean kind of reminded us, is that um, the pace of spend is not even. So, depending on which phase of the project it is, and um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an engineer, uh, but again, Brian reminds me all the time, it's the beginning, it's kind of really like a nest curve, it's like very mild, mild, you know, and then design, um, and then when it goes to construction, it bumps it all the way up. So um, on, and this is the question I posed them when I met with them yesterday, is that if, if the chart that we had in our hand is totally updated as of today, and based on what you know, Sean and Monique, in the next six months, when these construction are going to bump up, is that balance that's now looks quite high, um, how much of that would be reduced? And we talked about some estimates, and I went away feeling comfortable that the, 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 the spends in the next six months is going to bring down the remaining balance, you know, substantially. Um, so I just wanted to share some of these um, thoughts um, and learnings that I have meeting with the MTA staff. 
Um, and I, I think that with the Caltrain issue, it's beyond our control. Um, Caltrain board, their senior management, they have to resolve, which is a very, very big problem in, in my opinion, but that's kind of beyond our, their control. So based on these comments, um, I, I feel comfortable that, um, that they're doing their diligence and um, we've done our due diligence mm -hmm. in meeting with them and asking questions. Um, so those are my um, report. Okay, well, very good, Brenda. And I'll just add, preliminary <coughs> to something we'll say at the, we'll get into at the end of the meeting that among the things that Sean told us on one of our meetings, I think the one back in January, was that they had to rebid a contract for <coughs> not five Fulton, but one of the bus lines, three times because of LBE goal-related issues. LBE is local business enterprise, and I'm not gonna denigrate that program because I are an LBE in San Francisco. Nonetheless, there is with projects like this, that associated risk that because of that goal and bidders not meeting that goal, we may have to rebid the entire contract. A time-consuming and not too, what? It's a time-consuming process, I'll, I'll leave it at that. There are things I know about. I mean, I did construction management for BART for years and years. I've testified as an expert on construction management issues. The things that we encounter over and over again with programs like this, you mentioned also outreach, are things that maybe as a committee we can recommend that in as our work plan for next year we look into. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this seemed an appropriate point to at least address that issue. So, are you, Brenda, you're done? Yes. Okay, um, any questions, comments from the committee? Robert. Uh, yes, just a couple. On page three, the summary of the financials, uh, I would I think it would be very helpful if we could add two columns there. The, uh, <clears throat> the total bond fund uh, original budget and the total bond fund current budget. Because what I, can't, I see within this first sale, there seems to be some shifting of funds. And I can't tell if that's an impact on the overall project or that really, and, and it's gonna be made up in a later sale or if that's a real change to the budget. For example, the 7-8 dropped significantly. Uh, we've added the 22 Fillmore 16th Street. And then the 30 Stockton terminal uh, budget disappeared. And I don't quite understand the note to reassign formerly 33 Stanion. I'm not exactly sure what that means. So I think it would be very helpful if we could just add those two columns and then if there is budget changes in the detailed report, they're, they're explained. Uh, second, uh, one of the things I had always looked for is some uh, statistics or metrics on the results of these Muni Forward projects so that we can really, the public can see. And for example, uh, which one is it? The, this, the nine San Bruno is completed. And in the detailed report, it says that there was an expectation to reduce transit travel time by 20%. Well, that's fantastic, what, but it's completed. Do we know the results now? Uh, and if we could 
maybe get a report added on metrics just so that we have the baseline oh, sure. and, and what's, you know, so it's real clear. We don't have to necessarily dig into the detail to see some of the, the metrics. I, I, uh, I think that's a great idea. And we um, are, of course, tracking and monitoring how our projects are, 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 are responding. I mean, the, um, unfortunately for the 9 San Bruno, I mean, it was literally just completed last week. So it's going to take ah, six months before, okay. we have, um, have, before we have data. That yes, can, absolutely. That can prove yeah, but even if we could just see the baseline then on yeah, the sure, existing sure, projects. Right. Great. I, I would say I would say uh, um, we that the uh, the the ten Townsend the Sansom Contraflow was the first project that we completed um, with this bond with these bond <coughs> funds and um, that's been a while it's been six months roughly and so um, we have hit the market the the target we thought we'd save we thought we'd save three minutes um, for every ten uh, and twelve passenger um, that is on the bus at that portion of the line and we are saving about three minutes so um, so so far so good that's great. Um, regarding um, page three also, um, could you put a date on that? I was really surprised that it's so out of date. Um, and could you try and give us the, the most up-to-date information? Um, you, you don't come in front of this body very often, so it, doesn't, it seems reasonable to ask for recent data. Yeah, um, I'll just clarify that the, that table is <coughs> as of the end of January 2017, so it is a, l a little more up-to-date than what you saw in the report, um, and it, it was the latest information that we had at the time that we published these. But now that I know that we can walk in with more updated numbers, we will, we will certainly do that going forward. I'm, I'm sorry Thank to you. Um, know that that was possible, but we'll do that. <coughs> um, other comments from the committee? Well, question. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, this is uh, a collateral issue. Uh, in my neighborhood where you're undergoing uh, major street repaving and so forth, do you ever look at the issue of undergrounding wires because that's become a very big issue? And what are your options for that? And I know it must involve other departments. Yeah, are, are you talking about, um, uh, over, yeah, we-, we uh, I'm talking about Collingwood. Yeah. Excuse me? Collingwood. Yeah, yeah, we, um, MTA does, does not, although, uh, you know, we do work with DPW very closely. Right. So, uh, but you that do would have, be something that DPW would. But you do have streets where underground wires could be done that you are working on, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we're working all over the city, so, yeah. So are you looking at that? I can. Sure. I can briefly answer at a very high level, and John Thomas is still in the room, so he can elaborate. Um, which will teach him to leave earlier. Um, at, a, at a high level, the, the, the city does do some undergrounding of utility um, lines, as sometimes as part of these projects, but the main constraint against that is availability of funding. Um, the cost for a really robust utility undergrounding program in the city, and we've done different cost analyses over the time, really gets to something like 40 to $60 million a year to achieve an undergrounded city and kind of a hundred year kind of horizon. Um, and those funds really aren't available. And there has been discussions about developing funding strategies to do that, but at least at this point, nothing's moved forward. Which does mean that generally, while it would be preferable to underground while you're doing a lot of these streetscape projects that while they do occasionally occur, often, more than often, they don't. Well, it is, of course, a safety issue. If you have wires coming down that uh, could cause people to be electrocuted. And I see that one of the new supervisors, Supervisor Sheehy, has just introduced measure calling for 
undergrounding wires. So it would be a, a topical issue dealing with any of these things. Uh, seriously, because it's, it's, as you say, there's going to be an earthquake here. It's not if, it's when. The wires are going to come down, and it's, you know, the large potential of loss of life and serious injury. I said, well, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> Every, anything worth doing costs a lot of money. So I'm Especially glad you we asked have that. earthquake bond. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Well, I was only making the note just that the, the constraint is not a failure of departments to implement or think about this issue. It's more the availability of funding for them to do so. Yeah. Well, I look forward to their proposal for our next meeting. If, I just... I think there was a source many years ago from PG&E that, yeah. that evaporated. Right. They spent it. And then, and then I think also uh, neighbors can yes. establish a, a special use district or something and, and fund it themselves if, if, if in the absence they really. There's been a lot of discussion. Just to yeah. clarify that point, that yes, they can, but mostly they, fern, they learn about streets being torn up too late for them to have established some sort of process with the neighborhood contributing towards it. So it's Hard sort of a, the horse is out of the barn and then they're trying to figure out what to do. And in terms of that fund that was from PG&E, it was, that money ran through very fast yeah. as uh, DPW spent far in excess of the anticipated cost to do what they did. And so it ran out several years ago. Yeah, it was like 2006, I think. It, 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 they went through it, as you say. They, they just even they blazed through it. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess if there are no other questions or comments from the committee, we'll open this up to public comment. Good morning, Jerry Drattler. Hey, Jerry. For the benefit of new C. Gobach members, the city charter enumerates responsibilities that C. Gobach and the CSA shall and may do, shall are required and may are optional. May do is optional and not an excuse for failing to perform required or shall do responsibilities. There are also things that C. Gobach is prohibited from doing like getting involved in bond issuances. With regard to shall dues, for example, the CSA shall annually issue benchmarking reports. C. Gobach is also the Citizens Audit Review Board and is responsible for reviewing audit standards and audit reports. As new C. Gobach members orient themselves to C. Gobach and their specific liaison responsibilities, they need to remember that as a commission, C. Gobach is required to issue an annual report and discuss whether C. Gobach fulfilled its shall-do responsibilities. Thank you. Okay. Other public comment? Hearing none. It's 11. We've got till 1230. I don't know where committee members are in terms of... Well, you have the room until... 1230, yeah. Yeah, you're Sorry, right. Sorry, very bubble. briefly, the, the, you have the, the, me the meeting is scheduled to end at 12, but okay. you can continue as a committee until 1230. I don't know where committee members are in terms of their time commitments. Um, we, but just a quick note to just be mindful yeah. of time here. Well, we have one more major item, and then we have the kind of catch-all item at the end there, which I know is going to take a little bit of time. So 
If we can then move on to item six. Item six, presentation from the Recreation and Parks Department about the following bonds and possible action by the committee in regard to such presentation. The 2000 Neighborhood Park Bond, the 2008 Clean and Safe Park Bond, the 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks Bond. Gobach members, Don Kummel and Avin, Director of Planning and Capital Management at the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. I'm joined today by my colleagues Antonio Guerra, our new chief, uh, or I should say new finance officer for um, the Capital Division, and also David Beaupre from the Port. Um, very brief presentation today on the status of our bond programs. Um, you know, starting off, I think, with what continues to be good news around the closure of those last few pennies of the 2000 um, parks bond. Uh, there are two active projects at this point open, uh, the Randall Museum and Alamo Square Restroom, uh, both of which are in construction, and we um, anticipate will be completed by summer. Um, and with that, we will be done with the 2000 bond and we can issue a closeout report. The 2008 San Francisco Neighborhood Parks, uh, Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks Bond. Also, we have, um, we are almost complete with that project. At this point, all projects are at substantial completion in terms of the major neighborhood park projects that we're committed to under the bond. Um, we have about 1.7% remaining, and those funds are largely tied up in um, small odds and ends projects within the Trails and Forestry Program. Um, spending on those programs, and I'll talk about this, actually, it's probably better for me to talk about it within the context of the, the 2012 bond program as we get there as well. But um, we have trails and forestry dollars in both the 2008 and 2012 bond citywide programs funds. Um, those continue to lag in large part because the operations staff that we need to partner with uh, to deliver those projects have just not existed, frankly. The forestry program, um, we had 10 urban foresters uh, for the whole department, and what we found as we began to implement the 2008 program was that that lack of capacity on the, on the operations side to partner with and to deliver these projects really impacted, in a negative way, our ability to move forward with that program. So we actually essentially kind of put it on hold and focused on delivering all the rest of the bond. Um, the good news is with the passage of the baseline that went into effect this um, past summer for Recreation and Park Department, we have um, reorganized our forestry division, have a forester now who is specifically, his whole job is to help um, with the administration of contracts to tackle our highest risk trees. Um, also, we have continued to allocate funds from inside the baseline itself to leverage and augment the bond funds for forestry. Um, and have also hired inside my division a capital project manager who actually is a trained arborist. Um, so we've really spent quite a bit of time over the past three years building capacity within the department to deliver this work. And we think that um, that actually nicely aligns as well with city planning's urban forestry plan. Um, there was a part one that focused on DPW and street trees, which was completed and very successful. And now we're pivoting to start working on an urban forestry plan for the city that will actually largely focus on recreation and park department trees. So we think we have now kind of built the capacity we need. We are well poised to take advantage of the policy window that we think is opening around the urban forestry plan part two. 
and have made, again, an intentional strategic decision to kind of hold off on spending those funds until um, all of those things could align. Um, we do expect that over the next year, we're going to continue to focus on the delivery of 2012 bond neighborhood park projects, and that the year after, um, and spend this year doing planning to get assessments and the like and a full work plan aligned so that the year after, we can really just push that money out into the field. Um, for trails, uh, similar story, uh, our natural areas staff, we really need to work closely with them to do trails, and as some of you might be aware of the controversies that have surrounded that program, um, but we actually had something of a um, really epic victory um, last month with the adoption by the Board of Supervisors, or I should say the, the EIR around the natural areas program being upheld. Um, we are hopeful, while those programs are not directly related, um, that policy question finally being settled, I think should help also even out the implementation of uh, the trails program. And we have also, with the 2012 bond, trails and the trails funds are really allocated to two specific sites, Golden Gate Park and McLaren, both of which are in design processes and visioning processes right now. So upon the completion of those, the forestry funds will be wrapped in with the other projects we anticipate going, and again, we expect to see those funds spent. But so there has been a strategic decision about holding off on the expenditure of those funds, um, which I, I think is important to, to share with you. Um, for the 2012 bond, we again continue to make um, very good progress, I think, in um, delivering projects. Glen Canyon is really weeks away, um, or yeah, weeks a month away from opening. South Park, Joe DiMaggio, these parks are open. Mountain Lake is in construction. Um, West Sunset also in construction in Balboa Pool. So we expect to see, really it's actually gonna be a, a nicely busy summer um, as we continue to open projects. Um, as part of this. Um, and also design continues to move ahead for the rest of the, everything else is in design at this point in terms of neighborhood park projects. And, um, and you know, making good progress on all of them in terms of getting projects successfully to our commission for a concept plan approval. This is just a photo from our most recent opening, South Park. Um, and, you know, it's a small park. It came out great, I have to say. Like, I really, you know, like all our story, all our projects have a story, as many of you are aware at this point, and this, this one as well. But it came out fantastic. And I think that it's also a good illustration of the way that we attempt to really leverage geo bond funds with other funding sources. And so South Park had only about a million dollars from the bond. But working together with the community, we were actually able to double our money by working together in partnership to attract impact fees um, from the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan and also with community philanthropy. And that story, I think, is repeated across the portfolio and I think does have schedule impacts. And I want to be candid and upfront about that, that um, you know, in our efforts to really expand the scope of some of these projects, not due to scope creep, but out of a real desire to just pursue our mission when we have an opportunity to expand funds, um, some of these projects we have, again, made intentional decisions to slow down. Um, so with all of our pools, we had to, again, work with schedules. Um, we don't want to derail everyone's summer or their um, the, the swim team 
team schedules for high schools, which our pools serve. So we've had to th rethink some of the way we were delivering those programs. And for you know Garfield's um, pool, um, there's been a significant delay, but we've actually managed to, with impact fees, get another $5 million on top of that base budget. And we really anticipate dramatically expanding that project to not just be like a pool shell, the interior of the pool uh, renovation, but to create a really exterior courtyard, redo a terrible clubhouse, um, take it out of commission, and create a smaller building that really creates a wing to actually have a recreational facility as opposed to just a pool with a pretty terrible one-room school schoolhouse next to it. Um, for Margaret Hayward, also we've been working closely with the community. There's three buildings on that site. We're going to take them all down and be able to have one nice community facility and work again with Eastern Neighborhoods Impact Fees attracted $8 million more on top of the original bond investment. Um, Willie Wu Wong, um, also $4 million of impact fees against $6 million bond investment. So in many of these cases, we're like adding 50% capacity. So there is a slowdown and yes, there's escalation costs associated with that extension of schedule, but on the whole, what we're seeing are very positive benefits to the final product that we're able to share with the public. So just a few notes on our overall program before I turn it over to David Beaupre from the port. Um, Next steps, uh, 2012 bond third issuance. Um, we do anticipate that to really push out the final set of construction projects for the bond that we will need an issuance probably more like winter, honestly, less fall. Um, winter 2017, early 2018. Um, that also the capital planning committee, which governs the sequence and sizing of geo bonds. There's, uh, we've made a decision to move the next uh, recreation and park department and maybe potentially the port as well. Uh, we continue, expect to continue that partnership, that that bond has been moved to November 2019. Um, the most important, I think, kind of next interesting project we have for ourselves is what we're calling our life cycle analysis. But there was a data set that the department purchased in 2006 called Comet, which was a comprehensive condition assessment of all of our assets like across all 3,000 of in-city in acres. And that really, uh, that data set guided significantly the development of our 2008 and 2012 bonds. It is now out of date and needs to be updated. And so we're in the process of putting out an RFP to select a consultant to come and update the condition assessment of our facilities. And also with now the, the baseline for the Recreation and Park Department, allocate more funds specifically for deferred maintenance um, and tackling a lot of things like paving and tree work and um, you know playground resurfacing, a lot of the things that then begin to impact user experience after we've done the renovation three years down the the line. So we hope to have that analysis completed in time for summer 2018, which is when we would theoretically kick off the public process for the next uh, park bond. Uh, lastly, with uh, FAMOUS, which is the city's accounting system, conversion, there is a new system that uh, we hope is coming online this summer, and <laughs> so, does, so does the controller. 
Um, and <laughs> um, but we're actually quite excited about that. Um, the the reports that you see they float off a very complicated back end system, and we're actually hoping that the new system is going to be more simple in terms of, and easier to use in terms of our ability to query and ask the kinds of questions that are most interesting and valuable for us as we're managing the program and you as you're providing oversight for it. Um, but that does require that we have to take a rather aggressive push to close out all our old projects. And so that's also providing extra incentives for us as we're trying to really bring that 2000 bond to a close and also move aggressively to try and close out as much as 2008 in the accounting system as possible. Um, so with that, I'm happy to hand this over to David Beaupre from the port. Thank you, Don. Committee members, David Beaupre, project manager and planner with the port, um, here to report on both the 2008 and 2012 bonds. Uh, as it relates to the 2008 bond, we have two outstanding projects. One is our art enrichment component of that bond, which is a Bayview Gateway public art being managed by the Art Commission. Uh, the good news is we just actually received the building permit for that project today at the port, and that's uh, scheduled to be completed in July of this year. The other 2008 project is Crane Cove Park, which is under construction now. That's being funded by both 2008 bond, 2012 bond, grants, and port capital projects. Uh, a first bid package for that went out and is under uh, construction today. The next bid package, which is the significant component landscaping elements of the park, is going out in the next couple of weeks. And we anticipate that that project will be completed uh, approximately a year from now. The other 2012 projects that we have are, um, are in Islay's Creek Promenade and Agua Vista Park. Those projects have fallen behind schedule a little bit. The Agua Vista Park has fallen behind schedule because it's of its adjacency to the Mission Bay Bayfront Park. Uh, future Mission Bay ferry landing that we're looking at and improvements related to the arena. So. Uh, Agua Vista Park is directly adjacent to the Mission Bay Bayfront Park. Uh, working with the redevelop the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, uh, we've approved the schematic. Both our commissions have approved the schematic design for that project. And now that the schematic design is dialed in, we can look at how Agua Vista Park, Park and Bayfront Park tie together. Additionally, the port and the city are working on a design for a new Mission Bay ferry landing that connects right in with Agua Vista Park and Mission Bay Bayfront Park. So we're waiting for those designs to kind of settle in before we advance the de design of Agua Vista Park. And then the uh, Islay's Creek Promenade Project uh, actually has just been delayed because of staffing needs, but we've brought on a new project manager to assist with that. And that project manager begins uh, in a couple of weeks with the port, and we're hoping we'll be able to catch that up. That concludes my report. Thank you. So, all right, Robert Carlson is liaison for these funds. He yeah. has the floor. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Don, and David, for those presentations. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to meet with uh, Don and Rec Park uh, this time, but through some text messaging and emails, uh, Don very adequately covered the uh, concerns I had in reading through the reports, which was namely. Uh, forest, the, the work on the forestry work and the trails. And uh, I appreciate the effort now being put to see that those projects, uh, the work gets done and completed. And I'm hoping over the next 
several months to get it. I, in fact, I not only hope, I plan to try to walk some of the new trails and actually see some forestry projects and what they look like because that, there's, to me now, there's been nothing like going out and viewing some of these projects that are, and seeing them and understanding, you know, what a, what a significant impact they have on the, on the city. Uh, I also was concerned about the, the delay on the 2012, some, a number of the projects. I looked like at eight projects and the average schedule delay was running around a year. So I think Don covered that today. There are good reasons, but uh, as Don mentioned, there is concerns when there's delays that you begin to lose uh, some of the items you want to do because of cost increases. So. It's a tricky balance and, you know, if things are going up, you have to be careful, but there's times when things go down and then you make, so it's, it's not a precise science, unfortunately. Uh, I did get a chance to talk with Dan Maurer, the project manager for the West Sunset Playground. Uh, that's a project I visited last time in its very early stages and it's moving along and by the next meeting we have, it should be complete. So. I can't wait to get back out and see that. He says it's going well, uh, but because of the rain, uh, there was 37 rain days in the, this recent past, and that has had an impact uh, on it, and they're hoping it won't uh, cost that much because they build some of the rain days into the contract. And then finally, I just want to add, I did meet with uh, David uh, uh, and got a tour of the Crane Cove Park, and I'm telling you, that's one of the most exciting things I, I've seen. It's just in the early stages, uh, the, a lot of dirt's being moved around, but it's an incredible historic site in this city where they used to build these vast, huge ships, and there's these gigantic cranes, and it's just going to be amazing what they do and the concrete that they tear out and the green and the park and then the water right there. It's unbelievable. And I, I would, most of you may have heard there's a restaurant called The Ramp. And if you want to see this site, you can go out to that lovely deck at The Ramp and see right over uh, of where they're going to be building this. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be incredible, an incredible uh, park when it's done. So very much appreciative of that. Okay. Other questions, comments from the committee? Uh, yes, I have a, a few questions. In terms of getting a, a generalized picture of things, uh, to some extent, bond money is spent because other revenues are not adequate uh, to doing things. So I'm, I'm wondering, in, as you look at things, are you looking at whether or not we're doing a good job of recapturing costs that are coming out of the general fund and should, should be coming from users? So for example, Civic Center Park is often completely reserved for private events, but they seem to be uh, uh, <coughs> not returning the cost for that, much less providing uh, an income source. Also, there is a form that all city departments have to file called Form 804, and that lists the free tickets and free admissions that are given out. Uh, and at Rec and Park, uh, those come to over a million dollars a year in tickets that are made available to city officials mm -hmm. and uh, members of Rec and Park Commission, Rec and Park staff, and in the period of time that we're talking about here for these bonds, it's well in excess of $10 million. 
that uh, the city chose to give away to people. And so you had like the head of Reckon Park attending 49er games in order to see what the facilities are like at Candlestick. Um, and that has raised a number of questions in other cities. They're beginning to, to act on that. We also made available the Marina Green at no cost uh, to the America's Cup and lost a year's worth of revenue out of the Marina Green and had to cancel uh, kids' softball games and everything else. So I'm just wondering to what extent you're looking at the larger picture. So as you move forward, as you're looking at a 2018 bond, are you looking at how the city is currently collecting money or not collecting money that could uh, meet some of these obligations? Um, I think I think the question of looking holistically at the department and the extent to which the department is making strategic capital investments against its cost recovery and like what it costs, not just to, um, again, whether or not people are paying fees or not, but also like are we thinking, um, are we being thoughtful about the maintenance costs that are associated with the facility? So we're really thinking about the entire picture around, for example, something like a Garfield pool. Our swimming pools are quite expensive to operate on an annual basis. Um, most of them net out around um, $600,000 in expense to deficit on an annual basis. So um, one of the things that we have been very intentional about as we're designing Garfield Pool is working very closely with our operations staff to figure out a way that we're not adding to that burden. Um, and that's what I can control as the planning and capital director. That's the, that's the kind of um, analysis and I think the extent to which the capital projects can impact that question. I think the question that you're raising um, has been raised by many others. Um, it is in large part out of our control as the capital division and really a commission and board of supervisors um, policy decision. And it's been conflicted frankly over the past decade. Um, and it has um, the emphasis and direction to be cost recovering um, has varied widely, not just based on um, the leadership at the Board of Supervisors and the Commission, but also as folks look at different types of facilities, there tend to be different feelings about what types of facilities merit heavy general fund subsidy and which don't. And that conversation, for example, contrasting swimming pools and golf, they actually serve about the same number of people. Um, and they cost actually about the same to provide and renovate from a capital perspective. But there has been intense conflict over the golf courses over time and the extent to which they should be cost recovering and the extent to which the city should subsidize those services. Whereas for swimming pools, it has always been understood that in some respects we can spend as much as we need to spend to keep providing swimming pools to um, SFUSD and also to San Francisco's youth. So those decisions are not being made, I think, in any kind of holistic way as a city. And I'm certain that the Board of Supervisors in the 10 years I've worked here um, has not provided kind of uh, uniform direction, I would say, that could be implemented um, by staff on a, on a certainly on a project by project basis. Well, of course, it's not our job at GOBOC to set any of those policies. Yeah. Um, but it is helpful to us if we have in your report some idea of what the trade-offs have been and, and what, what 
the recoveries have been or not. I think there's a big difference between Civic Center, which is a uh, which closes off of the entire Civic Center Park mm -hmm. and most of the parking around it for weeks at a time for a for-profit company versus a swimming pool. It's, it's an interesting question, and unfortunately, the way that our accounting system is structured itself, I can't actually provide that information on a facility-by-facility -facility basis. There are certain types of facility groups, like swimming pools, where I can provide that information. But for things like playgrounds and rec centers, it's virtually impossible. For the whole department, um, the city's annual budget process does provide quite a bit of information about the extent to which we are feed we have fee revenue versus general fund subsidy versus, for example, uh, tax set-asides. Um, there's uh, actually an extraordinary amount of detail about the department as a whole, um, but it's actually impossible for me, unfortunately, on a, on a uh, facility by facility or bond program by bond program basis to provide that information for you. It's, a, it's an interesting and important question, but unfortunately, the resources and the system don't exist to allow us to answer it that way. Other questions, comments from the committee? None. Open to public comment then. Hearing none. Item seven. <clears throat> Opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. Item A, the liaison assignments update. Item B, the SFG Gov TV update. Or you want to do them one at a time? Okay, one at a time. Okay, we'll start with liaison committee assignments, which more I think you handed this out when I went to the men's room. Um, I hope you all had a chance to look at that, and I want to thank both Alex and Kristen, our newest members, for accepting assignments that Brenda and I and the staff oh, discussed. I'm sorry, I, I had a con I sent you an email about that. And you did, and when. I thought it was that it was okay with you. Uh, no, my, my comment, I think my comment was, um, you know, I, I work at UCSF and I work in the healthcare area, and so I, I'd love to be a part of that oh, bond. Okay, the, that, the health bond that's upcoming? Yeah. All right, well, I think that you can do that because there will only be the one person on it, that is me, and you could always take my space if we can't be. <laughs> I'm finishing out on the SFGH health bond, if you would like to be on that. We've got maybe one more meeting on that. It's, yeah, it sounds like it's done. On that one, yeah, because it's, it's done. And I, I maintain contact with them, though I haven't met with them physically. I think Joe Chin is the project manager on that. But um, they're done, the hospitals and service. But yeah. the only outstanding issue on that is really contractual. They, they had some potential claims that the general from the subcontractors that the general contractor wasn't passing through necessarily to the city staff. Then they kind of wore. Then they weren't kind of wore. There were some issues there that weren't really related to the hospital so much as they were to the management. Mm -hmm. You're welcome to attend the next time I come to a meeting. I can't paint a prettier picture than that of what it's going to be like. But okay. So, did you then not want to be on the earthquake safety one? Bye. I prefer to be on the, the health one. Okay, so the health one you'll be on. Usually we take two. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There you go. okay, so we'll put that. That means that there will be an opening on that, on earthquake safety then. 
only thing I'd add just for, for committee members' uh, knowledge is you, you are still short one member. And so if uh, one of the bonds remains with a single liaison and that liaison remains okay, continues to serve by themselves. Okay. Um, Robert, you're doing a good job. And I do hope at some point in the not-too-distant future we'll see re the last remaining appointment from the mayor's office. Okay. So... All right, so I will close out then the, the 2008 SFGH one. Kristen, you will be assigned then to the 2016 health bond, and I will be there with you, but I'm going to let you take the lead on that one. Thank you. If, if you're up to it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if there's any, well, let me put it this way. Since I've been on some of these bonds, are there any, you know, you won't be out there all by yourself. Okay. But as you make the transition, I will let you take the lead. Great. Thank you. Okay, Alex, you had sent me an email message saying, well, what do we do about this? And, and I apologize for not having responded to that until this very moment, but I think you're starting to get an idea what it is. You meet with the project principals on a regular basis, in particular, sometime before they come in here to make their report face-to-face. -face. Just ask them whatever. Usually you would visit the job site or some number of the job sites to see what there is. Now, for instance, Brenda and I are on the muni bond. We have not gone out to any of the job sites because there's, you know, you, which, what was the number that we heard today? Like a dozen, something like that. Um, and, and more to the point, there isn't a whole lot going on that we would see in the field. However, with the SF General Hospital bond, I did go visit that there, them regularly. So park bonds, you know, you've got some discretion here. Um, Robert, you can, you can work with with Robert on those, um, yeah. he, he goes out there sometimes. Maybe if he doesn't want to go visit them, you could, you know. But you can you can work um, between yourselves on, on on how you're going to handle that. Um, as we we just heard from Ben, we have one vacancy on the on the committee right now, and it doesn't look as though that's going to hurt us very much because Kristen and Larry will will cover CSA, the whistleblower program is, is, is staffed, housing bonds is staffed, though there is a 2016 pending. Um, what, what, what should we do about that, Ben? Should we we'll just wait until we get the next person assigned? I guess it, it would be up to the committee how you'd like to handle that. Um, no bonds have been sold yet on the 2016 program, and so you probably have some time that you can leave that undecided. It feels like Logical to me would be that the members serving on the other housing bond might have an interest in that one as well because they're similar uh, similar programs in some ways. Um, or you could simply wait for the new member. But I don't know that that I don't believe that's a decision you need to make today. Okay, because there isn't an upcoming bond sale pending. Well, let's phrase it like this: If we have uh, a volunteer who wants to get involved in the 2016 bond today, we can put we can assign that person now. Otherwise, we can just defer until we get the vacancy filled. What do you think? I'm uh, willing. Okay, and and you, so you guys will are willing. You're a team. Okay, Come good. Well, <laughs> then I will make note of that. May I ask a question? So, sure. Alex, you're going to uh, work work with Robert on the on the parks. Yes. And what about the road repaving with Kevin? Yes. Thank you. Uh, and I did hear Brian saying something about what to do as a liaison. I don't know if uh, Alex, 
if you guys had an orientation, but there is a very, very good document that describes, you know, kind of the, what the duties are of the liaison that gives you a, a sense. Uh, I don't know if that was shared with And my apologies. I don't know that we have. Um, so that, that's our oversight. And so we'll reach out to, to Alex if, if it's helpful to kind of walk through that, that guide that was developed by GoBox several years ago regarding for new members. I'd like to see a copy, too. I don't think I can. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen that. Yeah. I should I should shut my mouth. I probably have seen it and didn't read it you have or, to, or read it and forgot it. I've seen know. it. Yeah. It's good. We, we will forward that to the full committee member or to all committee members. Good. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that all of us, regardless of where what our status is in familiarity with it. Look out. All right. Awesome. Um, I, I think, are we covered on this? Have we made all the assignments? It looks to me as though we have. Public comment. <laughs> Public comment. Public comment. I forgot. I thought we could wait till the end for that. Okay, um, Jerry Drattler. Regarding liaison assignments, um, one of the shall dos is the GoBoc is the Citizens Audit Review Board, and nobody owns that. And when I served on C GoBoc, uh, what happened was the old saying: when everyone owns it, no one owns it. So I think you should do something there. And with regard to training materials, why would you not post them on the controller or CSA website? Oh, okay. Thank you. All right, well, let's then move to item B, which is San Francisco government TV update. Or do you want to say that more? Go ahead. No, you said it nicely. So Did I? <laughs> it felt okay. <laughs> All right. Um, at our last meeting, we voted on whether or not we wanted to implement closed circuit television coverage of our meetings. And I'm going to tell you where I think we are. We are on that right now, though. You did see a memo that Mora sent out. Was it? today or yesterday that that explains what the process is, how more the costs are, and the fact that we would have to change our meeting time, or meeting time and date to, to do it. Um, more, I didn't see the latest on what the costs were going to be. I saw the one that you rescinded in fairly short order. So I'm, uh, the cost yesterday that uh, Mr. Loftus gave us reflected all possible meeting dates. We are only looking at six to eight meeting dates. So it should, and there are increases next year to their to their services. So um, you know, probably just a little bit more to the estimates from January. But I'll get them to you when I have them. Okay. Well, I think we've got an idea of what the costs are going to be, it's going to be very at least expensive. within reason. Maybe not to the penny, but I don't think we need that. Um, the question, and, and there is money available in our budget to pay for this. We have a budget of one half percent of what the bond programs are. I guess the cumulative bond pro yeah, value. You, you certainly have more than enough money. To, to, to pay do for that. this, that shouldn't be a consideration here, frankly. That okay. you have, uh, we expect to have a balance given bonds that we've actually recorded in the financial system at this point. Uh, we expect to have a balance of $1.7 million in the GoBuck account at the end of this year, and that, that will grow as we record a couple of recent sales. And so we'll keep you updated, but um, money is available and can only be used for the purpose of, of GoBuck. 
Okay. Does anyone want to say something about this? Yes, uh, I do. Uh, okay. I've asked that this be put on the agenda because this is one of the uh, more important offices uh, to, for transparency. It was created, in fact, by the voters in order to create transparency that didn't exist previously. Um, and if you take a look at the bonds that we oversee, most of them are, are bonds that are handled by city departments that do not have commissions. So this is the one spot where they can come and hear a commission. <coughs> for example, uh, all of the DPW uh, stuff, there is no commission that oversees DPW where you can have citizen input uh, and an opportunity for the citizens to hear exactly how things are moving forward. In general, uh, uh, there, there is not a way of measuring how many people watch any particular uh, program. Though, uh, when I was a newspaper reporter, it used to be that if you had one letter to the editor, then the 100 people had read the article. And so uh, I don't use the, those figures as, uh, as meaningful in, for our purposes. In general, I would say that uh, there is as much interest in what we're doing on this committee as there is in the taxi committee, and uh, that taxi commission is broadcast. We've seen recently questions raised about the progress on uh, bonds that are under our, our orbit, including what's happening with the housing bond, what's happening with the streets bond, as you saw from uh, Supervisor Breed. And so this is a way of, of meeting both transparency and accountability which was exactly what was said when the, the entire GOBAC was created by the voters. So I, I think that this is very much in our orbit and in, our, uh, and in the useful way that the city needs to operate. I would say that I think that our proposal should also include archiving these uh, commission meetings so that you can go back and look at something that was said two months or, or four months or six months ago. Uh, that's proven to be very valuable on most of the other commissions. Okay. So that's my pitch. All right. Any other comment from committee members? Kevin. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Since we met last, uh, I, we did receive a communication from Patrick Monette Shaw, and I apologize if I've mispronounced his name, in which he mentioned that uh, one of the many reasons he believed it would be appropriate to have this uh, broadcast on SFGovTV was the fact that the existing record as it exists as far as an audio is uh, not fully audible throughout the complete duration of the meeting. <clears throat> and based on that, I reviewed the audio tapes of our last meeting and the one prior to that. And it is very difficult to follow this meeting based on those audio tapes. Um, this is a, the distinction between a committee and a commission aside, it is certainly uh, established under the authority of the charter and the San Francisco Administrative Code. It's certainly a governmental meeting subject to the Sunshine Ordinance and as a result should have a complete uh, and accurate record of the actions taken by the committee and by the public. One of the things that SFGovTV does, as 
my recollection is that as this broadcast person downstairs in the basement of City Hall moves the camera control back and forth, they also monitor the audio and they contact the commission committee secretary uh, in real time to say that someone's not talking into the microphone or their microphone is off or, uh, or whatever it may be so that there is a complete and accurate record uh, to the fullest extent possible for the purposes of establishing a record of a governmental meeting. Um, so it's based on that, while I did not support the idea when we met last, uh, based on this additional new information that I have uh, just come to learn since we met last, I would support a motion uh, to enter in a contract with SFGovTV. Anyone else? I have a couple questions. Um, first, uh, in the information provided, it says no coverage is available at this time due to staffing constraints. Um, so what does that mean exactly, and when is it expected that staffing will allow for coverage? Just to, just to clarify, I think that's referring to the current upcoming meeting. Um, at the bottom of the memo, you can note that the new information we have from last time is that they're actually with, if the committee reschedules to a couple of open time slots when staffing is available, um, we could proceed as early as July with televi television. So we will need to flip the day that the committee uh, meets to either a Monday or a Friday to meet SFGT coverage, but with that we, coverage would be available at the start of the new fiscal year. Okay, so if we reschedule then there is current staffing available to do the recording. It, correct. Okay. And I, you know, again, I really like the Thursday date. Uh, works very well for me. I, I'm fine changing dates, but I'm telling you, on Fridays, I think for me, I would probably miss uh, more meetings than I have in the past. And your attendance has been good because I've been sitting here. <laughs> No. All right. if, if you if the committee moves ahead with the proposal, we can we can kind of pull the committee regarding preferences on your schedules and choose a schedule that works best for the most members. Um, and we will also continue to monitor changes at SFGTV and keep you posted as we approach July should other openings occur. Because I do agree it would be preferable to have something that's not on a weekend because of just holidays and long weekends that tend to occur there. But um, this is what's available now. Other comments? Jennifer, no? Okay. Um, I, I, uh, when we discussed this last meeting, um, I was in favor of doing this for, um, for many reasons, and I think that Kevin brought, some, brought to mind um, additional reasons. Uh, I think this is a reasonable, not just a reasonable request of the general public, I think there is enough interest both in the general public and um, other um, citizens who may be interested um, to join to find what find out what we do. So in the past, it appears that this committee is not that well known. So even in recruiting uh, committee members, um, as we get termed out, um, seems to be um, not a very uh, swift process. So I think that making our committee and its proceedings and our activity open to the public will also, you know, help in that regard. Um, not to mention that um, if it is in our power 
and we have the finances to um, to fund this. It is to demonstrate that you know our our proceedings and our meetings are, are totally transparent. So um, I am in favor of this. Can I just mention one other item, just for your as you're considering this too? Um, <coughs> From a staff perspective, if you choose to go forward with this, there's probably an efficiency for us as well. Um, the Board of Supervisors and many other commissions that uh, kind of provide that, that kind of provide television services and the video archive, typically minutes become a slightly different construct because they are just fundamentally then outlines of action items and votes you've taken. There's no need to try to kind of transcribe and um, estimate what people were saying and doing because you have a full ar uh, archive available online of that. So that it, would, it saves a bit of time in minutes construction as well. All right, well, I'll take the counterpoint on this, just be the outlier. Um, I think it is a good thing to do. On the other hand, I don't think it's necessarily a good enough thing to do. I, to, earlier in the meeting I mentioned, with, with the help of Jennifer, that back in November, the city of the voters failed to pass Proposition K, upon which our current budget is based. In other words, since that didn't pass, uh, the city budget is not balanced. So although this is not a whole lot of money that we're talking about, it is some amount of money. And I think we should all pitch in to help try to balance the budget because whatever federal money we include in our budgeting process is likely to be at risk under the current administration. And I think we all better start taking that into consideration in, in how we go about our business. And I don't just mean us, and I know that the amount of money that we're talking about is relatively significant in the overall scheme of things, but I think it's the direction in which we want to go. We're where we don't really need to spend money, defer to the places where we really do need to spend money. And I'm, I'm going to end up by saying I don't know how often I've heard, for instance, on projects in which I'm interested, one of which is undergrounding these utilities. So, well, we'd like to do it, but there's no money for it. All right, and uh, I live in the Outer Richmond District, so, well, I'd like to, ha I'd like to see <laughs> Muni Metro extended out to our neighborhood. We don't have the money. All right. Well, a few thousand here, a few thousand there, and maybe at some point we will have the money to do things like that. So I think we should just generally be more judicious in these, in our approach to these things, look at things, you know, give them, include a sense of priority in our judgment about how we spend money. And that's all I got to say about that. I just have one question. The online video hosting is that uh, a requirement or is that an option that we can choose not to do that piece of it i believe it's a choice but i think if you go ahead it would be a choice at least as staff we'd suggest i believe my understanding of that item is that that is the kind of digital archiving of prior meetings and the availability to review them after the fact online which is so, so that's not being able to go to your iphone and and watch I wasn't sure exactly. No, I, I believe it is the archiving function that's that sits important. online. Yeah, that's important. Okay. All right. If there are no other comments, I think we can take a vote on this then. Ken, did you have something? Public comment. Public comment. Oh, yes. How can I ever forget that? You'd think I'd learn. I appreciate thrift, but the city's budget is $9 
billion with a B. So um, what we're talking here is what accountants call mouse nuts. Um, the mission of the CSA is transparency in government. This commission is responsible for that department. So this expenditure really speaks to the mission of the CSA and the oversight responsibility of CGOVAC. Thank you. All right, that's that. You should vote then. So, oh. committee members, this will be a roll call vote. Can I ask a question? Is, is there a motion pending? Hopefully. All right. You need, okay. The motion would then be should we spend this money to start televising our meetings in accordance with the cost proposal that we have from Mr. Loftus? Words to that effect? So moved. Second. All right. All right, and a roll call. Okay. Mr. Bush? Yes. Mr. Carlson? Yes. Ms. Chu? Yes. Mr. Hughes? Aye. Mr. Larkin? Nay. Ms. McNulty? Aye. Mr. Tonison? Yes. All right. Ms. Warburg? Yes. Okay, so this uh, motion carries with one nay. Eight yeses. All right. Seven yeses. Seven yeses. Only eight of them. Okay. Life would probably be a lot easier. All right. Okay. <laughs> that Item C, other matters, uh, the work plan. Work plan for, for next year. Um, we um, refresh my memory on this. We have to, we will, that will be an agenda item next, next month, but. <laughs> What we, what we want members to do is come up with ideas of what we might put on our work plan for next year at, next, at the next meeting so we're not blindsided by this. For instance, one of the things that I've thought about um, that I'd like to look into more carefully, revisiting the issue I brought up during the, our discussion of the MTA bond uh, expenditures, how they have been delayed, they, the MTA, have been delayed in issuing contracts and notices to proceed on because they had to rebid a contract three times for because the low bidder had failed to meet the LBE goal. Now, I think we want to look at the process to see are those goals too high because each time a, bid, a contract has to be rebid, the, con the, the city incurs costs. And they can be substantial, depending on the size of the contract. But that one was probably relatively small, but that is not an atypical situation by any means that contracts have to be rebid. So if the city is seeing that happen often, then it's probably time for them to revisit the, what, how they set their goal, the process by which they set the LBE goal. So that's one of the things that I would like to take a look at because this is a recurrent theme even for me dating back to my days with BART where we would set goals for similar programs that were difficult to meet. And it is to me a way of circumventing the low bid process, the, 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 the California Public Contracts Code whereby the low bidder gets the work. Well, there is some discretion in whether or not a contract is issued based on the failure to meet an LBE goal. So if someone's friend is not the low bidder, but the low bidder has met 
the DBE goal or the, pardon me, the LBE goal, at its discretion, the city can award the contract to the next low bidder. However, it can go ahead and look at the, the contractor and say, well, you've made a good faith effort to meet the LBE goal, so we're going to go ahead and issue the contract to you, despite the fact that you haven't met the goal, because you're somebody's friend. In other words, it is a method of circumventing the low bid the California Public Contract Code, and that's something we ought to take a look at in the interest of transparency. Okay. So that was just, I'm jumping the gun, that's what I'm going to talk about in a month. Think along those lines. I'd, like, the to, next I'd like to throw two out uh, two things. One is this is a document that Ben gave me today, which is a, uh, a sheet of the bond money by each bond, how much has been spent, what's left. That's where uh, Ben's reference to the $1.7 million is in GoBox uh, purview. So I think that would be helpful. It's not as complete as it needs to be because, for example, it doesn't include the housing bond. Recent housing bond. Um, and it doesn't include the money for uh, the audit oversight. So when we do meet, it, I think it would be a very good idea for us to have a handle on all the expenses and revenues that are available and the kinds of things that we do. Um, and in that respect, uh, one of the things that I've talked to Ben about is that it's hard to get uh, a view of cross-cutting issues. So, for example, if you're talking about uh, the streets uh, bond and you're also talking about the parks bond, in which ways do they meet up? So if you're looking at the port and the new parks that are going under the port, can you drive along the Embarcadero to get there or not? You know, uh, my experience on the civil grand jury is when we went to take a look at the, at the waterfront and drive along the waterfront and on the Embarcadero, we actually had to leave the Embarcadero because we couldn't get through on the traffic. Um, so to what extent are we taking a look at how our different programs that we oversee uh, mesh together? And the third issue uh, is that, as I understand our responsibility in looking at bonds, is you look at uh, whether they're on time, on budget, and on scope. And I wasn't clear what on scope meant. So I asked uh, Ken Rue to give me a definition that we can use in doing an evaluation of whether or not something's on scope. I'll uh, provide a copy of what he gave me. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see that too. Because uh, so we get comments, for instance, from Mr. Minette Shaw uh, about the housing bond and the use, you know, for homeless housing. And I know I've had some questions about that. We got a report from the Mayor's Office of Housing that contained information that was at least misleading when I tried to follow up on it. I, and I won't go into detail now, but scope apparently is an issue. Yeah, I, let me, I remember Prop K, which is in our, in our purview because that was a, a, an increase that, that was funded by an increase in the sales tax. But there were projects that came out of that that I didn't read specifically in, in the, the bond language that was on the ballot. Now, maybe if I had read <coughs> 50 pages, but I don't think most voters do that. So I sometimes think that's a, I don't know, an abuse of the, of the process. So something we might else, another thing we might consider looking at. Ben, go ahead. I was um, just in terms of uh, suggesting a way to facilitate this discussion at the next meeting, because um, you do have a big sandbox and a big charge. Um, if it's helpful to the committee members, what we would suggest would be forwarding project concepts or questions 
to Mora in the coming month. We can then, if it's helpful, we can then frame some of those for a presentation and discussion here as staff for the committee. And I think it would probably be helpful to place them beside um, as a reminder and just to help help the discussion move along kind of what GoBox various charges are in different codes and we can kind of review what you're currently doing and then what some of these other ideas are and the committee can then in a way that maybe the committee can make choices with a little bit more information in front of them. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Thank you. Amen, brother. Question. Can, can the committee meet uh, outside of the public realm and in the form of like a retreat or something to have an internal discussion no you can you can have a retreat you can frame this um, but it needs but it needs now. to it needs to be publicly noticed as I understand from my having just had to fill out the sunshine and ethics ordinance again for form 700 filers that appears that you could have a retreat that would publicly notice in advance what the agenda topics are uh, but it would not require that the public attend the meetings if it's uh, so we, it needs to be open to the public though. <laughs> well, that's a key distinction. It does need to be open to the public according to. Yes. Yes. to ben. So I suggest Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we have the money. <laughs> All right, I'm on board for that. And if we don't have the money, we can can the TV. Let the record show I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Might make it a little harder for some people to attend. <laughs> all right. Uh, do we all understand the concept of what we're going to do for the work plan? Then just send your suggestions up front to Mora, and perhaps <laughs> we'll get some questions answered, which will uh, implement help our discussion when we have the meeting about we, what we're about. We the work can plan. turn concepts into proposals. We can give you cost estimates of order of magnitude how much that would cost we can frame it in, in a budget discussion yeah. um, that I think will be helpful uh, mr. chair I, th I think it's a good idea uh, the other thing is um, we are nine or eight now and we all have our very different you know schedules so may I suggest uh, kind of a, a, a timeline uh, when our concept ideas are due tomorrow who would be the one that's consolidating these ideas and then you know, turning them into uh, a format for discussion at our next meeting. Yeah, we need some. We need we need, need dead some deadline. <laughs> <laughs> it won't get done. A gentle nudge. That's April twenty first. April twenty first. Twenty first. We'll remind the committees with committee members with a follow-up email and, that, and that's not to preclude you could still bring up ideas of course and then with our motion uh, for coverage in terms of the TV coverage how are we going to make the decision on moving dates or in terms of meeting times and dates? Um, so the next meeting will actually occur before we reach that July date so it'll be in May so um, but in the meantime we will be in polling members regarding your availability and the time slots for the new fiscal year that we know and we can we can report back on that at the next committee as well and another thing to consider just generally is I think something Jerry mentioned that uh, more audits you know, we meet every two months and you know we hear what 
the project management people have to tell us. And I think an audit at times would be helpful for us to understand how well the money is being spent. Because even with our liaison committee meetings, I don't think we get into that level of detail with them. It would be hard for us to get into that level of detail. Uh, actually, I do. I have uh, gone down to a very low level of detail of a uh, construction contractor uh, progress payment request and went through the details of it. So not on a regular basis, but I have done that. And we also have had audits, and the uh, CSA has presented uh, two of those audits. And I think there's a third one out there now. I was thinking they were going to be here today, but they'll be here next time, I think. All right, well, as far as audits, I don't think it sounds like we don't have to audit the projects that Robert Carlson is liaison for because he's definitely getting into level. We'll let the record show that. Okay. All right, um, further public comment on the last discussion? No? Then we can adjourn? Yes. All right, a motion to adjourn. So moved. So there's the, we got between us. All right, all in favor? Yeah, we're out of here. Okay. All right. I don't expect a lot of discussion about that. Yeah. Yeah. One minute to spare. Well done.